podcast where every week we sit down and have a discussion about a film. This week is the second to last installment of our West Wednesday series. We're talking about the Grand Budapest Hotel with extra special guest star, Madeline Vander Hayden. Oh, thank you. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you so much. Now, it, it stipulated in your contract that you had to be extra special guest star. Yes, I am the most special guest star you will ever have on this show. So. Yeah, <laughs> <It's> <laughs> so, uh, so Madeline's our opinions editor at The Daily, proclaimed lover of Wes Anderson movies. I am a very, very, very big fan of Wes Anderson. <laughs> so, <laughs> so you found out we were doing the series and you said, can I be on one? And the answer was yes. So here you are. <laughs> That's a great story. <laughs> that's that's the whole story. story. Yeah, that's it. Love the plot. Yep. <laughs> Lots of twists and turns in that one. So, Blake. Yeah. Have you up? seen this movie before? I've seen it once before. I think I saw it a couple months after it was first released in theaters on DVD, and I remember loving it then, and I, it turns out I still love it now. How about you? I think this was like the seventh or eighth time I've seen it. So, wow. I've Aiden. seen it a lot of times. I really like You're this movie. You're a true stand. That's really impressive. My name is Stan. Yeah, right. Exactly. Yeah, Madeline, like what started your love for Wes Anderson? What movie kind of kicked it off for you? I would love to say that I've been a Wes Anderson fan since Bottle Rocket, but that's not true because <laughs> I was a baby at that point. Mm-hmm. So um, my older brother saw Moonrise Kingdom when that came out, and um, he and I went to go see that together, and I just absolutely fell in love with it. And so I just went on this huge like Wes Anderson bender and watched everything. And then the Grand Budapest actually came out the week that someone really close to me passed away, and I was obviously really upset. And so we have this really small indie movie theater, like really far from my house. And so what I would do is when I was upset, I would go drive and go see the Grand Budapest. So I think I saw it five or six times, like in the first three weeks it came out. So and at that point, like the guys at the movie theater knew who I was, and like I kept coming back with my free movie ticket pass from Costco, and they were like, "Oh my god." Grand Budapest again. I was like, yep, here I am. So um, very comforting and obviously just a great film. So yeah. really special for me. I think this movie is like ultimate escapism. Oh, for it's sure. Just oh, totally. It's just wonderful. It's just, it's adventure. It's thriller. We were talking about that before the podcast started. It's romance. It's kind of tragedy in a way. Like it has a really bittersweet ending. Yeah, mm-hmm. just kind of this melancholic tone to it at the end. Yeah. No, but it's like melancholic in a way that... It like it's very it's carefully constructed, and so it doesn't feel too sad or anything. It still leaves you with that good feeling that you kind of have throughout the movie. So it's got the same kind of structure that most Wes Anderson movies have, where it's it's done in chapters mm-hmm. or in sections like a play, right? But this this film is a story within a story within a story, it's right? A lot. It's it is a lot, and <laughs> it, I, it took me eight viewings to finally kind of understand what all was happening. I guess that's not true, but it's <laughs> it's a book. Right, it opens with like a lady in a park mm-hmm. reading a book, and then inside the book, there's the author of the book who's telling the story about when he was a young man, still as the author of the book, interviewing the main character of the book, <laughs> and the main character of the book is telling us, the audience, his life story as a young man. Yeah. And I think that's interesting too because it also takes place in four different time periods, and each of those time periods come in as a different format on the screen like ratio wise and so first part when she's in the she's in the the cemetery it's 2014 and i don't know like dimension wise but that's just a full screenshot and then it goes to 1975 or 85 85 and then it goes to 1968 and then the 1930s and every single time it gets smaller and smaller and smaller in terms of screen skies if you get confused about what part you are in the story you can just kind of keep track of how large the screen is and how large the 
sort of like that viewpoint is. You're blowing mm-hmm. my mind. I didn't and notice that. Notice right no, that's it's incredible. So cool. Really? I, think, yeah. well, I don't know. The version I watched at the beginning, it said, like, please set your screen to whatever ratio. And so after that, I was very attentive to where that gets ratio. And I was like, it's getting big and small. So yeah. And then I kind of. So when it's in the 30s, but... is it 16 by 9 or is it? No, it's like a remember. square. It's. Very, yeah. very, very tight, yeah. Which I wish more directors did this kind of thing when you are time hopping, because I feel like, I think it works better here because there are so many characters, but I think a lot of directors kind of go with, like, putting someone in a weird wig or, like, really emphasizing, like, the clothes, where it's just, like, mm-hmm. the ratio thing is, like, such a simple but effective way to get that point across. Yeah, yeah. and the yeah. colors, too. I mean, just the way that, that it's shot and the way that he presents it obviously tells you that you're in a different time period and you're in a different yeah, part for of sure. the story. Yeah. Do you want to give like a brief plot description for maybe those at home who are unfamiliar with sure. the movie? <laughs> um, so basically there is, back in the 30s, there's the Grand Budapest Hotel, which is in the Republic of Zrovska, if I'm pronouncing that correctly. I think something like that. And um, M. Gustav is the, the main concierge there and he takes his job very seriously. And he, in the very beginning of the movie, is with uh, Madame D, who is this very wealthy, very old woman, and they have sort of this like romantic, codependent relationship. She leaves, and she's very distressed about something, and you're not really entirely sure what it is. She leaves, and M. Gustav meets Zero, who is his new lobby boy. It's sort of like a little apprentice. And then the story progresses because we find out that Madame D has died mysteriously, and the rest of the movie revolves around questions about her will, whether or not she's been murdered, and it becomes sort of like a whodunit. Very energetic, very fast-paced, and lots of twists and turns along the way. Yeah. No, for sure. I was, like, telling you both before this, but, like, I don't know why, but, like, in the four years since I watched it, like, I completely forgot that there was, like, that a murder mystery, like, drives the movie, essentially. And so in my mind, I'd only... Because I had this image in my mind of Tony Revolori and Saoirse Ronan, and there's a part where they both are in, like, a back of a candy truck or something, and they're surrounded by all these pink chocolate boxes. And so because of, like, that image, like... I convinced myself that it was strictly like a coming of age movie. And okay. so it was almost like watching it I, like for the first time again because I'd like totally forgotten so many things about it. Very, very good experience. This though. is a movie that you can watch over and over again and still be noticing new things. Oh, I think so too. Like me not noticing the aspect ratio change, <laughs> which I'm going to be watching for like a hawk the next time I watch this movie. Well, I think that's with every Wes Anderson movie is he puts so much incredible detail into it. There's no mm-hmm. way you could see it all in, in one show. Oh, it's so true. And I think too, like even like the ratio thing, I think because his movies are so stylized that you don't notice it almost just because it blends in in a way like with all the other different things that he's doing. It's almost just like another little twist so not a big deal if you didn't notice it <laughs> yeah it's just a fun fact once you do notice it it's kind of like oh here it comes yeah, it's very yeah, interesting it's very cool but yeah i think like for me i've always had like a problem in the past with like how kind of whimsical or fanciful um anderson's movies are because they're like presumably taking place in real life but they feel so distinctly unreal whereas i feel like here it works so well for me because everything is being kind of recounted as part of a story And I think there's this idea that we all kind of like romanticize our past. And so I think his specific style, it works really well to this idea that this is just like a story in a way. Like you are very aware that it's kind of coming from someone's memory. That just like works really well. For me, I don't know if like you two felt the same way about that, but. Definitely think that the way that whole scene when Zero first meets M. Gustav and he's sort of like in awe of him, but he's trying to impress him. I can just imagine like Zero in the future retelling that story and kind Mm -hmm. of saying like, you know, this man was so incredible and I looked up to him and such an interesting person. So there is sort of that like romanticized memory of him who we can't, we don't really know if it's entirely accurate, but I think that still just adds more to 
like what the relationship was like. I, I think that M. Gustav, uh, Ray Fiennes, is just larger than life in this movie. I'm so used to him playing bad guys mm-hmm. that seeing him in this where he's kind of a skeezy guy, but a very, very good guy at heart who's hilarious. Well, I just I had just finished a Harry Potter movie marathon with the best friend Molly, <laughs> and she watched Grand Budapest with me, and I said, you know, that's the guy who plays Voldemort, and uh-huh. she blew, like, she was so <laughs> surprised. She was absolutely shocked. Yeah, no, he's um, so charismatic. Like, when I mean, I feel like I'm very used to him being Voldemort or someone evil, I guess, but when he has a role like this where he is pretty likable, like, come to realize, like, Ray Fiennes is just so charming. I love him in this movie. And it's funny because his character is larger than life, but you, there's always kind of this hint of mystery about him, so you never really mm-hmm. quite have him figured out. But he has all these different, like, character quirks that I find very entertaining. He kind of reminds me in a way of, like, Hercule Poirot. Like, not... They don't really <laughs> act the same, but, like, that same thing where, like, presentation's very important to them. So I was, like, reminded in that regard. I thought it was funny, too. I don't know what you both thought of this, but, like, he always likes to date older women who are, like, blonde and rich. And I, like... Had a hard time figuring out if, like, if he was just kind of, like, trying to gold dig or if he just genuinely just likes dating, like, 80-year-old women. Like, I don't know. Did you think he was a gold digger or just, like, he just had some weird, like, he just needed to be needed, kind of? I think it's definitely a narcissistic thing. Yeah, I do, too. Just having a woman, like, fawn over you, Mm -hmm. I think is, I think can add a lot to a man's ego. (laughs) (laughs) For sure. There's a great shot. It's, I think it's in the end of the film when they're just kind of recounting his life and Gustav's life. Mm-hmm. And there's a shot of him. He's sitting at a table looking at a book or like holding a glass of some kind of champagne or something. And the camera zooms out, zooms out and he's surrounded by, what, like eight, nine like older blonde women <laughs> who are all just going like just lounging around. No, I think it definitely ties into like his role at the hotel. He is so centric to everything that goes on. And so we kind of... I'm assuming he's just grown to like being needed, and so when you are dating an 80-year-old woman who really thinks you're, like, the greatest, I think it just kind of feeds that. It's just almost, like, quirky in a way. It doesn't really, like, make him seem super sleazy, and I think there are a lot of things that he does that could be perceived as sleazy, but I don't know. He never, like, comes across too badly. I was going to say, I think he just maybe just like just likes feeling important. Like, oh, for he's sure. the man who knows it all. He knows what to do. Mm-hmm. He knows what people likes. Like, he kind of has all of those needs and desires like in his palm and he can kind of control those things. So that probably is a big part of it too. It is funny when the movie does transition into the murder mystery because he he's definitely not someone, I think a lot of movies that kind of revolve around a similar story would really emphasize the Tony Rivalori side where just like someone who's trying to help. Whereas I feel like even though he is, you know, locked up for so much of the movie, he's, like, so active and trying to escape. Like, he's not at all just going to sit back. I think, like, some of those scenes are really funny where he's trying to escape with kind of that band of um, bad guys in the prison. The whole escape scene is so, like, physical and fluid <laughs> and really funny. Those prisoners are so ride or die, too. <laughs> like, when they're on their way out, there's the one guy who, like, pulls the grenade out and just sacrifices <laughs> himself so the three of them can break out of jail. <laughs> And they have their it's so ridiculous. Slitter. I thought that was so funny. It's like, who yeah. has a throat slitter? <laughs> and I love like, the Harvey. Oh, There's like the Harvey Keitel cameo. He's the like the bald boss who's shirtless. Were his pecs like purposely twitching, or is that just him? Because I just I so don't distracted. Because they were just like twitching. And I'm like, is Harvey doing this on purpose to just like be weird, <laughs> or like is he just that twitchy? Like, but they just... weren't even twitching. I felt like they were dancing, like with yeah, the were... syllables of those words. It was so much. <laughs> it was on beat. It was ridiculous. <laughs> 
ridiculous. It took me so long also to figure out that that was Harvey Keitel because he looked so familiar. But <laughs> I've never seen him like ball like that. He just was almost like a naked mole rat or something. But <laughs> that was wild. A lot of cameos though. I forgot how many. Or not even cameos, but just like a lot of great actors in this that I totally forgot were even in this. Even even people who are playing really minor characters, mm-hmm. like Leia Sidhu is in it, <laughs> and she's amazing. I love her. And uh, Tilt Swinton plays the plays Madame D yeah. at the beginning, That's and that great. makeup is. I mean, Makeup's they so did win, they did win the Oscar for makeup. That <laughs> That's year, true. So. No. I did read it took her, I think I think they said over five hours oh, to get wow. all that done every day. So, yeah. Determined. Mm-hmm. No, I love, like, the way she looks, and I love, like, her mouth is just always, like, in a frown. Like, it just <laughs> is so really good makeup. But it's, like, really subtle, too. Like, I don't feel like it's cartoonish at all. But, I mean, she is, granted, like, she's, like, a very rich, is she a countess? So she's kind of presented melodramatically, but you never feel like the makeup's overdone. So it's, like very good but like jeff goldblum's in it and edward norton that's like it's just everybody this was a really this was a quite an early role for saoirse ronan wasn't it or had she been in very much other stuff she had been in other stuff i mean she was nominated for her first oscar in 2007 so i mean she was like established i guess i missed that (laughs) still transitioning into adult roles i'd say my favorite thing about wes anderson sort of in his later films maybe in the last i guess maybe four or five is that you kind of get to keep an eye out for those recurring actors who come mm-hmm. in and like you know they're friends with him so with the society of the cross keys and they have all those extra concierge comes in to help him out i just i love i love that <laughs> so much and bill murray i think he's so mm-hmm. great and it's just one of those things like when's he gonna come in who's he gonna play and, <laughs> and yeah it was great oh bill murray's cameo is amazing when when they're in the the car and he's giving them a ride and they're like we need to give him a tip to be kind <laughs> and, and he's like how much how much 25 25 and he holds it out and bill murray's just like Please. <laughs> and he brings them the large panache. <laughs> so good. But no, I love that recurring. Like, even if it is just like a very quick cameo from like a returning Anderson actor, like I always, that's always, I think part of the fun with this movie is like as much as the style is just like seeing Bill Murray or one of the Wilsons, you just, it's just part of it. I think my favorite recurring Anderson character in this movie is for sure Adrian Brody. Oh, yeah. His villain oh, yeah, he just is evil. amazing. <laughs> and the music that plays every time that he's on screen, the the scary organ sounds, mm-hmm. which I have to say, I've talked about him before in some of the previous episodes, but mm-hmm. Alexander Desplat does the score for this, and he's so memorable. <laughs> so I sometimes yeah. will get the songs from this movie just stuck in my head, even if I haven't seen it recently. Just do 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 It's like a jingle or something in like a commercial. Like it does not leave your head. It's good music for you know walking to class and stuff. It's very upbeat and positive. Love it. Or really scary. That's true. That's true. Very it's scary. Spooky. I also love Willem Dafoe's character too. Like he yeah. just, uh, he like reminds me of a bulldog or something. He's just so, <laughs> just like, does he have an underbite or is that just kind of something I? That's just kind of his myself? face. Yeah. I guess so. Yeah, I think he, he probably just, puts it on. Probably like. Eh. Yeah, did I trick myself into thinking he was like wearing mascara too? Like I just felt he just seemed very just goth and like no smiles and just because he plays like an assassin in it and like. <laughs> I loved you know when they. He kind of like turns around and faces the camera, and they have that black vignette that comes in and like mm-hmm. goes around his face, just like extra scary. <laughs> <laughs> no, so scary. Like he and, the, and then there's like the. I feel like everyone who is like trying to get the madame's money, like everyone just like always wears all black and always looks very menacing. Like there are those two, and then there's like are those three women her sisters? Or I didn't really catch that, I but think they're, they're always are together. Adrian Brody's sisters. Adrian, Adrian Brody's sisters. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, and they're always grouped together. They're always wearing black. <laughs> And it's just like, who are all these people? I don't feel like the Madame had that same kind of exterior. But <laughs> yeah. Do you think it's possible to get a framed 
boy with apple replica so that only people who who are in the inner circle will know if i have it in my house you know, I don't know i'm sure it's possible it's exquisite it a true is. masterpiece it's Truly. beautiful and then the, the painting that replaces it is also very good yeah. you know what's interesting about that though is that painting um was drawn i forget his name but he the guy who did the illustration is the guy who runs something called like dad's club or something like that and they put on wes anderson art shows on the mm. west coast it started in san francisco and they had one in portland last november and i drove down to portland for like two hours just to go to it oh that's awesome so he kind Super of like cool. takes these fan art, this fan art, and puts it in this film, which I thought, you know, if I was that illustrator, I would have lost my shit. But <laughs> love that. So, wow. fun fact. <laughs> That's a great fun fact. Speaking of fun facts, Aiden, do you think it's time for you to deliver some of your fun facts? I think it certainly is. Wow, I'm so excited to hear them. First one I'm going to do is speculation. Ooh. I don't know if it's true, but I like to believe it is. Great. So, Madam D, played by Tilda Swinton, I believe is named that after the character Madam D in one of Wes Anderson's favorite movies, The Earrings of Madam D, which is from I oh, think yeah. the late 40s or early 50s, early I think 50s, early yeah. 50s. Have you seen that? I haven't seen it. No. I've heard it's great. I want to see it. Yeah. I've been meaning to see it. So I saw mysterious because it's like Madame D, and then there's like an ellipse at the end. So yeah. So it's like, Madame to what? What is she? <laughs> what, the Madame of what? What is she the Madame of? We'll never know. <laughs> <laughs> the whole cast stayed in the same hotel, the Hotel Borse in mm. Gorlitz during uh, principal photography to get to know each other. So, And Wes Anderson insisted that all the makeup and costumes were put on in the hotel. It all happened in the lobby. So they were really immersed, you could say. (laughs) Every time there's a newspaper article that shows up, it has a detailed and complete depiction of all the events that are going to happen in the timeline, in the headline. (laughs) And they're all written by Wes Anderson, of course. And I think he's done things that are similar to that in some of his other movies. Oh, I believe it. Yeah, in Moonrise Kingdom, he wrote all of the books that (laughs) Sally... Or, like, the little stories that she tells with the stuff Mm -hmm. she stole from the library. He wrote all those stories, too. I believe it. That's so (laughs) wonderful. Yeah, you were right. Tilda Swinton did spend five hours in oh, wow. the makeup chair. Right. Very, very good. <laughs> Muscle memory. <laughs> in an interview, uh, Sir Sharonin admitted that making the signature chocolate, the courtesan au chocolat, uh, <laughs> that it wasn't easy. She said uh, the little pastries were the hardest thing that she'd ever had to do in a movie. I was going to say, I was, I've made those before. They are very difficult to make. And I thought I about bringing imagine. one for today. And I was like, no, I can't do it. <laughs> You would have been the most extra special guest yeah, star honestly. of all time if you'd showed yeah. up with one of those. We'll just have you take over the show after that. Oh, of course. Thank you. <laughs> then we, we would have looked at it and just gone, Mendel's. <laughs> but yeah, those are my fun facts. Wow. Those, those are, are good. Fun. I do wonder, like, wait, is Mendel's? It's not real, right? No. Okay, I, don't I didn't think, think it so. would be, but I was, I just like, I think I wanted it to be so real that I was like, Maybe it is, but I like. I wish. I wish there's a way to know like what is the closest thing that there is to it, and then we can all go to it. Because I feel like after seeing that, like you just wanted to exist so badly. I mean, I know. I know that the actual pastry was made by a pastry, like a baker in that town where they were filming. I think in Gorlitz or whatever it's called. So maybe they do, but definitely if you just go to Eastern Europe, they'll have. That's probably true. So all right, field trip right now. Gonna go to Eastern Europe. Yeah, it's gonna be great. We should record (laughs) a podcast on location in that (laughs) That hotel. That would be great. In the hotel Gorlitz. Oh hell yeah! Let's do it. It's actually a department store. Is where they filmed. The Grand really? Budapest was filmed in an old department store in Gorlitz. Oh, really? That's wonderful. Mm-hmm. So many fun facts from <laughs> Madeline. Yeah, she knows it all. <laughs> no, it's good. It's Thank you for adding. No, we need it. 
I have no fun facts to offer, so I'm feeling a little bit inferior. But. Yeah, I mean, the theme song that's going to play is titled Fun Facts with Blake, but it's going to have my voice after it, so sorry. Just, wow. Is there a way to have, like, you could add, like, an extra, like, musical syllable for, like, Aiden instead of just, like, <laughs> you know what I mean? It'll be great. I'll have to call Alex to see if he'll change it for us. <laughs> there you go. I also love, like, the juxtaposition between the two, the... Grand Budapest Hotel versus Madame D's property. Like, I don't know why, but that just, like, was so striking. Because, like, I think until you go to that specific space, like, you are very used to this very brightly colored, almost, like, Technicolor world that looks very dreamy. And then you go to hers, and it looks like the inside of, like, a Caravaggio or Rembrandt painting. Like, (laughs) it's just so dark and candlelight. And I love... Too late, this is probably, I'd say, Anderson's most ornate movie. I feel like he usually will work with, like kind of the minimal and kind of just overdress it and make it special, whereas this is all huge sets and very kind of garish in a way. But I like I really like when he works with stuff like this. I kind of hope in the future he does kind of a larger scale sort of production design. Everything is ornate, even down to the costumes. Mm-hmm. I just and everything's functional too, which is wild when you're looking at it. Like the assassin. I don't know what his name is. Willem Dafoe. Willem Dafoe, thank yeah. you. Uh, Willem Dafoe, there, he has, he's got this leather kind of suit on. It's all weird, but it's got all these little snaps on it, and there's a scene where he pulls all the snaps open and goes like... He pulls it open, and there's... You know, he's got a gun in there and, like, some cigarettes, I think. It's got all these different pockets, and there's one that's just got a thing of whiskey, and he just pulls that out, and then he snaps it all shut, and it makes all these noises. Yeah, everything's ornate. Everything's detailed. and Very intricate. It all all works together. Yeah, I'd love that coat just as is. Just take it right off Willem Dafoe and just take it for myself. It sounds great. (laughs) Willem Dafoe's kind of a little guy, right? I Maybe. He's He's very skinny, but I don't know if he's, like... Like, is he short? I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I think anyone would look, would look short next to Adrian, Adrian Brody. That's true. So anyone could look short. Yeah. Like, I feel like in movies, like, in my mind, everyone's just very tall, and that's never really true. But <laughs> unless, you know, you do have, like, someone standing next to them. But if they're just, like, on the screen alone, like, Who knows my mind, seven feet tall. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Larger than life. Do you think that there is a prop department like a dusty old box somewhere that has those fingers that came off of Jeff Goldblum. Ugh. I would love to have those in my home. <laughs> I would frame them. But them still, display. that haunts me. <laughs> it's I like, so unexpected. Very unexpected. And I love how the music cuts out. It's like going so intensely and then the door slams, the music cuts, and you just hear the sound of the fingers going boom <laughs> onto the ground as they fall off. God, so that, dramatic. Like, that caught me so off guard because, like, I mean, until then, the movie is so playful and like that. And it's like, okay, all right, this is a little bit too real now. But yeah, there's some dark stuff. <laughs> oh, as, sure. in, as in every Wes Anderson movie, this beautiful yeah. exterior with all this funny dialogue, but there's always a dark kind of undertone that runs through it. That's true. This is one of the few Wes Anderson movies where a dog isn't I was, killed. I was literally about to say that. Wow. But a cat, a cat is killed in this one. I love, oh, I, so I, I love cats, but I do like that scene a lot. <laughs> it's a very good scene. Did she just throw my cat out the window? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> Poor Jeff Goldblum has to use like, cut his cat in a plastic bag and she just puts it in a garbage can. Oh my god. Oh, that's like, so sad. <laughs> god. But that, I guess that's good that he's, you know, not hurting dogs. Maybe he's just kind of over that because he, you know, does this, and now he's doing a movie celebrating dogs, I guess, well, in the future. Well, those ones are kind of mangy. They're not They're mangy, dogs. but it doesn't seem like they'll get too, they seem like they won't get injured. I mean, I'm sure some might in terms I love of the dogs story. has a PG-13 rating. That's true. Oh, my gosh. But I feel like, but I feel like the, ultimately he's just being like, dogs are cool, so let's 
let's celebrate then. So maybe he's trying to fix his reputation with the dog. He's got to fix his reputation. Yeah. yeah, he didn't kill any dogs. He didn't. I mean, I guess there's like no reason, but I think this is like one of the few that doesn't have a Rolling Stones song either. But that would also be very weird if mm-hmm. there were one. But <laughs> it would have been out of place. <laughs> would have been out of place. Maybe he could call. do like a Moulin Rouge kind of thing and just like have it be in like a like someone plays it on the piano and it's a classical or something. But <laughs> it's like in the little yeah. Maybe that's a Rolling Stones song. Have you watched uh, Westworld? I haven't. Is it oh. worth watching? Because I've yes. heard it's like bad, but what? Good. No, it's really good. You should definitely watch oh, Westworld. Wait. There's a oh. player piano in that, and it's all set in the old west, but it's they're robots, so it's the future. But the player <laughs> piano plays plays different rock songs like they're oh. classical. It's very good. Also, I realized the moment you said it's good, I realized that you were talking about the TV show. I thought oh, not the 1970 movie. No, not even. No, not even that. This is where the kicker comes in. I thought you were talking about Waterworld with oh, Kevin Costner. That's not what I was and talking about. I was like, about. oh, interesting <laughs> So, yeah. Yeah, you know, sure... you know, the player piano in the Old West, Waterworld. <laughs> yeah, I was very confused. I remember I all like, those those cowboys riding yeah. on dolphins. Waterworld and Westworld. Wait, is that what happens in Waterworld? I haven't seen that either. No, I was just combining Westworld and Waterworld into one thing. Honestly, I, no I feel like it's, I've heard it's dystopian and everyone lives on water. So, could be possible. If it's salt water, that sounds pretty bad, <laughs> which it probably is. That is would it, make sense. It's not great. That was a dumb thing to say. <laughs> Anyway, that was quite a tangent. But, yeah, well, you know. let's bring it back around. Not a lot of water in this movie, am I right? <laughs> yeah. I also like the scene, too, with the, like, the whole way there's, like, the chase scene between Fine and Revelory and Defoe. Like, they're all, like, chasing each other on skis, and just the whole way that shot, like, kind of cracked me up in a way, because it felt very video game. A whole so inventively shot. And even to like, they still have like Olympic sorts of things set up. They reach like the finish line and like the flags turn as they do it. And it's just very funny and cheeky. I love all the special effects in this movie because mm. most of them are practical, it seems. It looks like a lot of the, mm-hmm. like the hotel and the gondolas are all miniatures. And I mean, that scene where they're going down the mountain on the sled is for sure green screen. <laughs> but it looks, it just looks kind of goofy, but That's not so not goofy. in an unbelievable way. Yeah. There's a lot of scenes where you see them from really far away and they're just silhouettes. Mm-hmm. And that's clearly animated onto some kind of yeah. miniature backdrop. <laughs> but you just kind of go, yeah, it's a storybook. And you just move on. It doesn't yeah. take you out of it at all. Mm-hmm. He said like before, he said, like for this movie particularly, he likes to do special effects that he, you can tell they're sort of old fashioned because he wants to seem it like kind of campy as if he was mm-hmm. telling sort of like a puppet sort of story. I'm paraphrasing. But yeah, it was like all the miniatures that you can tell it's not exactly real. And you can tell like it's when they do like that chase down the down the hill. I mean, obviously, like CGI effects today would make that seem totally seamless. And mm-hmm. like it's just like you're watching it on TV, but you, it's you can tell that it's not. So yeah, but it's not like you can tell it's not in a way that's bad. It's yeah. like you can tell it's not in a way that they want it to feel right. a certain way. There's there's an, there's an idea and an intention behind it. Right. Unlike yeah. a movie like, I don't know, The Imitation Game, which is a great movie, but then for some reason they insert the CGI shots of the planes dropping bombs, and it's like, I'm in a video game from 2003. <laughs> Why is this happening? Oh, what a dream. <laughs> Everything Anderson does like so perfectly just adds to the reverie of it all. So I think it's there's like nothing about it. It's wasted, and it's... Definitely, you just feel like it is. This is a filmmaker who knows his craft. He knows exactly what his style is, and I think this is like his masterpiece for sure. <laughs> masterpiece. Anything else to add? I guess this isn't a point, but I I don't know if anyone noticed like a young Lucas Hedges and just like a very tiny part. I was like, oh wow. He's the so, he's the kid in Ladybird, right? Yeah, Ladybird, Manchester him. by the Sea. Yeah, he's just he's growing. 
rising in the ranks, but he's which randomly is, in it. Which one is he? Because there's also, I don't know the names of the character or the actors, mm-hmm. but there's also the guy who puts the gasoline in the motorcycle for Defoe when he's mm-hmm. up on the hill, and he was in, he was kind of like the bad kid in Moonrise Kingdom. Hmm. Um, Isn't that Lucas Hedges? Isn't that him? Is he in Moonrise Kingdom pretty, too? But I feel like there was also another little boy in this in the movie too. Yeah, I don't know for some reason, and I can't think of it. Hmm. Hmm. We'll have to do some investigative work after yeah. that. Detective <laughs> we'll, time. So we'll have to get down. Yeah, hmm. I what will if... watch it again. I will take, <laughs> take one from the I'll, team. Oh, thank you so I'll much. I'll do for it. I'm pretty sure the kid who fills up the thing with gasoline is Lucas Hedges, but I know there is another kid. I know what you're talking about, but I don't yeah. know who, who is it the, is. Yeah, because I feel like the other, the kid I'm thinking of in the movie is like way younger than Lucas Hedges. Oh, so. I know who it is. It's the it's the other lobby boy after Zero. Mm, yeah, and yeah. they ask him where everybody is, and then he tells them, and then Zero comes up and he's like, oh, a lobby boy should talk about that information. You are a stone wall. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Any final thoughts? Anyone? <laughs> Like, are you saying it's time to do our final thoughts? Well, that's what I was assuming because, you know, it seemed like we were done I think it's time. with bullet points. <laughs> it's time. Who's going? I'll go first. Great. <laughs> I love this movie. It's time. If you haven't seen it, you have to see it. This is Wes Anderson's best for sure. I guess that depends <laughs> on your taste, but for sure it's his best. <laughs> Fight me. Yeah. No, I totally agree. I think, yeah, it's just like this perfect blend of like this comedy thriller that also can be heartfelt at times. I think in his... Style is immaculate and complements the story really well. So for me, I think this is just the one where there's nothing about it that I feel like could be done away with or maybe was too much. Like, I just think everything works here. It's his perfect film. Very excited for all of the dogs. See how he follows up with this. I also love this movie. And one thing I think about when I, like, I'm trying to figure out whether or not, whether or not I like a movie is sort of what mood I have to be in to watch the movie. Mm-hmm. And Wes Anderson usually is one of those things where it's like I always watch them, you know, on a rainy day and I just want to stay in with coffee and kind of, like, hang out in my pajamas. But The Grand Budapest is great because you can watch it as a thriller night with your friends, you can watch mm. it by yourself, you can watch it in bed, like you can have a bunch of people over to watch it. It's just, it can fit for any sort of situation and it's there's something in there for everybody. So it's a really, really good crowd pleaser, um, but also just makes you feel personally very happy inside. True. Yes. So this true. Is, this is like the perfect litmus test for a first date, right? Honestly. Or like maybe second or third date. They come <laughs> over, you watch the movie, if they don't like it, bye bye get out of Honestly. my house. You're gone. <laughs> yeah, because, there's something uh, for everyone. Yeah, yeah it's just it. like it's too likable. There's just I just can't picture anyone being turned off by it. But some heartless. I fool. guess I'll have to talk to them and just you know see what it's like to have no joy in your heart. So <laughs> yeah, <laughs> talk to them to find out. <laughs> well, let's do our recommendations and then we'll wrap it up. Um, so I went with hotel movies that I like. Um, <laughs> so my first one is 1932's Grand Hotel, directed by Ruben Mamoulian, and this is an ensemble soap opera sort of movie with we've been really standing for her hard lately um but joan crawford's in it greta garbo john barrymore i believe wallace beery but just all these really big stars from the 30s but yeah they just get together and it kind of just um tries to interconnect all these different storylines and lives that these characters are living and i think it can be a little bit heavy-handed at times but it's like this would be like very lavishly designed and really Nice exemplification of just like a big budget Hollywood movie. Pretty well acted as well. So enjoy that a lot. And then I also picked Peter Bogdanovich's 1972 comedy What's Up Doc with um, Ryan O'Neill and Barbara Streisand. And this is like similarly a lot more fun. It's kind of like a screwball comedy. But yeah, it like tries to connect all these different storylines. But it's very like over the top and very 
very like quick, sharp humor. So it's probably a contrast from Grand Hotel. Thanks, Blake. Wonderful <laughs> recommendations. Do you want to do recommendations? Sure. Um, yours are so much more clever than mine. Um, <laughs> I guess if yours have a hotel theme, I guess mine have a European theme. Um, the first one is Midnight in Paris, 2011 by Woody Allen. Um, that is just one of my absolute all-time favorite movies. I also think it ties in really well with the Grand Budapest. Um, well, for one reason, it has three of the characters, which are Owen Wilson, Adrian Brody, and Leah Seydoux, I think. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And also has that same theme about you know nostalgia for the past, and I think Woody Allen is an interesting person, um, which I won't get into right now. But <laughs> cinematography-wise, it's a beautiful film. This gives you a lot to think about. It's also really fun with its sort of time travel element and going back to Paris in the 1920s and all those fun characters and kind of like the cameos you see in a Wes Anderson film of the actors. This is a cameo of if you're literary and art. Uh, heroes like mine and so that's really exciting it's a great film and then the other one was Amelie 2001 oh. um, Jean-Pierre <laughs> so Genel, I think I'm pronouncing that correctly that one's actually kind of a contrast from the Grand Budapest because it's trying really hard to be surreal whereas in Grand Budapest and most Wes Anderson films he wants to present it as if it's sort of real life but it's fictionalized like it's a story so that might throw some people off but I think the sentiment of just the whimsy and sort of like looking for that love like in loneliness and things like that, it's a nice juxtaposition between both of those. So, really great films. I did the Amelie is interesting though. It has such a, a graphic opening. I think first five yeah. or ten minutes, and I showed it to a friend, and she was shocked. She did not want to finish it. I cannot remember what the opening is. But is like, can I say it on the podcast? I mean, yeah. So basically, she's like, I wonder how many people are having sex right now, and has all these different like oh yeah of people doing it. So, oh yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's because like that's one of the few things I like actually like distinctly remember. No, from. it's gone. I've seen it twice too, and I'm like, oh, it's not once like six years ago. <laughs> so time to time to rewatch, but yeah, I remember that for some reason. So well, I have a couple of recommendations as well. I chose for the sets and the miniatures. Mm. Uh, it's I think it's I'm not gonna say what year it's from because I'm gonna be wrong. Uh, but it's the Guns of Navarone, which is this goofy war movie, which is pretty fun. It's really long. Uh, maybe just look up highlights on YouTube if you're not really down <laughs> to watch that one. I think it's almost three hours. Oh my God. Just split um, it up into two parts. Split it up into two watchings, yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, but it's it's good. It's enjoyable for sure. Uh, but yeah, lots lots of similar tiny sets, lots of fun, you know, vintage special effects in that one. And then the other, the other movie uh, is one that I, I saw last year uh, when I was taking a Japanese film class. It also takes place in a hotel and it's got this goofy guy who's checked himself in and he runs around to uh, you know solve all kinds of problems for the hotel. He's just kind of an every jack of all trades kind of guy like M. Gustav. But the movie has a couple of different titles because of translation problems. <laughs> so it's listed online as a Sun Tribe Myth from the Bakumatsu era, oh, which wow. is a ridiculous title. <laughs> Rolled um, right off the tongue. <laughs> yeah, the, when I watched it, the the title that I saw in the version I had was Sun in the Last Days of the Shogunate, which is also a bad title <laughs> for the movie. They should just call it like Goofy Hotel Man Runs Around <laughs> and Solves Mysteries. It's delightful, and I highly recommend it. Wow. <laughs> so anyway, I you're not going to be able to remember what it's called from what I said. No. It'll be in the description, I promise. Great. It almost sounds like an Italian horror movie title, like, it's just so bizarre. Yeah. But I'll take it. <laughs> yeah, it's it's wonderful. All right. All right. Well, thank you so much All for right. coming, Madeline. Thank been you so an much amazing for guest. You've been such a delight. Such a wonderful extra special guest oh, star. Thank you. I mean, I knew I would be, but <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I back to me, so thank you. <laughs> 
All right. Well, if you want to hear more of us talking about movies, you can find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Android, Stitcher, TuneIn, and our website, uwpodcast.com. You can follow us on Twitter at The Filmcast, or you can find us on our personal accounts at Aiden Walkero, at Blake W. Peterson, or... At Madeline VDH. Perfect. If you like the show, please share it with a friend. We can get the word out on it, get it all over the internet. If you want to write to us with a suggestion or you want to share your thoughts, you can reach us at cinemadventurepodcast at gmail.com. And if you want to follow along with us, next week we're going to be talking about Wes Anderson's brand new hot off the presses film, Isle of Dogs. Thank you for listening and we will see you next time. Yeah, thanks. Seahawks have the best offensive line in NFL history. Kyle Seeger is the better Seeger brother. Markel Fultz is the best player on the Sixers. Hashtag trust the process. Okay, we don't actually believe any of these things, but if you want to hear our thoughts on topics like these, tune into the Boxing Podcast with Chris Ankiko, Alec Dietz, and Andy Amashta every Friday on the Soundbite Network. For more like this and other great shows covering sports, science, relationships, and the arts, visit the Soundbites website, uwpodcast.com. That's uwpodcast.com.